What would you say if I told you that the Latino Christian community in the United States is a powder keg? The fuse is lit. The wick is burning down. About the only thing that's left to be determined is whether or not when this powder keg explodes, it'll light the way and break through a stubborn culture that allows us to pass on the generation or the faith to the next generation, or whether or not it blows up in our face. Now, perhaps you think I'm overstating things, so let us get grounded in a couple of important facts and statistics. Right now, in the United States, there are more than 60 million Latinos living here. When numbers get to a certain size, we kind of lose perspective of what they mean. So let me break it down by giving you a little bit of context on that number. If you were to take every single immigrant who came to this country during the famous Ellis Island wave of immigration, the people who saw the Statue of Liberty off in the horizon and the huddled masses that came through that gateway into this country, if you took every one of them over the height of that period of time, a 50-year period from the end of the 19th century to the beginning of the 20th century, and you added up every person from Poland, Germany, Ireland, etc., and put them together, they wouldn't be a third the size of the Latino population in the U.S. right now. Now, obviously, demographic changes like that have a significant impact in every part of the country. And the church is absolutely no exception. The reality of it is, is right now, if you're Catholic, well, 42% of the Catholic church is Latino right now, not some future statistic today. In the, Catholic, in the Christian world more broadly, if you include our Protestant and Orthodox brothers and sisters, that percentage drops, but it's still a very meaningful 23% a massive group within the church at large in the United States. And in fact, the younger you go, the more Latino it gets. Catholics in the U.S. right now under 18, 63% of the Catholic church under 18 in the U.S. is Latino. So tremendous growth, tremendous thriving, tremendous opportunity. And most of these folks either come directly from or come from families who come from countries that have a great Christian background. So this should be a good thing. Encouraging, right? But here's the rub. And there's always a rub. The rub is that the Latino community also leads the exodus from the church, leaving Christianity faster than any other group out there. Now, I use the term exodus advisedly because even though in this example, we're talking about a people who's leaving the faith, who's leaving their way of life who's leaving their heritage. Nevertheless, these people, just like our spiritual forefathers who wandered in the desert, are also vulnerable. They're also exposed and they're also searching. So this great dynamic of tremendous growth, tremendous thriving on one side, massive defection, massive exodus on the other. What that means is it leads us to a very interesting paradox. And the paradox is this, that both of these statements can be true at the same time. Every day, there are more U.S. Latinos in the church. Every day, there are less Christians and Catholics among U.S. Latinos. Both of those statements are true at the same time. Can you guys start to visualize the powder keg now? 
this moment of tremendous opportunity, but also tremendous risk, this moment of leverage that we all have, hopefully you can see the contours of that powder keg as I can. But you know, we ask ourselves, well, how did this thing get here? How did this powder keg come about? Is it something that just happened overnight or has it been building for a while? And there's a lot of answers and it would require many talks like these to get to the fullness of that response. But I can share with you two things that I think are critical and important as an answer to that question of how did we get to this point? And these things are separate, but they're very related to one another. And they are number one, siloed parish worship experiences. And number two, the real risk that we run as a church of creating an entire generation of what I call spiritual and liturgical orphans. Let me explain. First, the siloed parish worship experience. If your parish or your Christian community is like the average one in the country, then even though you're at one parish, you oftentimes have two churches. Even though you have one congregation, you sometimes have two communities. Why is that? Because you have one group of people that's worshiping and organizing and preaching and teaching in one language, and you have another group that's organizing and worshiping and preaching and teaching in another. And with the exception of occasionally bumping into each other at the parking lot after mass, they really don't integrate and interact as much as they should, despite some very noble efforts to the contrary. Very recently, um, Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione, the Archbishop of San Francisco, introduced, he actually commissioned a brand new liturgy, a brand new mass called the Mass of the Americas. Beautiful liturgy. And it incorporates our great patrimony of music, and it also incorporates a lot of wonderful cultural element, elements from the people of the Americas. The principal reason why he did this, why he commissioned this great mass, if you ask him, the number one reason was to bring about a unification between the Anglo and the Latino people in this country. That's how significant the issue is. And even though this great idea of having people be able to worship in the language that they connect to more, nevertheless, there's been unintended consequences that have come about as a result of this. So that's reason number one, siloed parish and worship experiences. Reason number two, again, related but separate, and in some cases, the byproduct of the first, is particularly among young Latinos, we really run a risk of having an entire generation of spiritual and liturgical orphans. Now, this idea, in order for you to understand how I came to this concept, you have to travel back in time with me a little bit. Travel back to a conversation I had in the sacristy one Sunday morning before the Spanish Mass. Now, for those of you who may not know what a sacristy is, that's a little room in a Catholic church where the priests and deacons get dressed, they get vested. And also ministers of all kinds come in and there's a lot of hustle bustle. There's credible nervousness and anxiety, kind of like right before one, a talk like this, right? A lot of conversations and, and, and nervousness. And you have a lot of great conversations there. In our parish, the altar servers are often the source of the greatest conversation. There are these young kids who come in, you know, sometimes they're wearing the wrong shoes. We got to talk about that. You know, their cat, their, their, their albs are not the right size and all that stuff. And we have got great conversations with them. Now, in my parish, 100% of these kids are high school age kids and they're all Latino, all of them, okay, for either the English or the Spanish language mass. 
And when they're together in the sacristy, they speak to one another in English. It's the language of their friendship. And why wouldn't it be? They grew up here. They're born here. They go to school here. They consume content in English. They text their friends in English. So why wouldn't they be engaging with each other in English? And a lot of these young Latino altar servers don't actually speak Spanish, even the ones serving at the Spanish mass. So I asked one of them one time, I said, hey, why don't you come to the nine o'clock mass, the mass in English? My initial thought was actually a little bit selfish. I was like, we don't have that many people there. Come to that mass, bring your family, right? We could use some youth. We could use some numbers in that, in that mass. His answer changed my entire perspective and clearly delineated for me this idea of spiritual and liturgical orphancy in a way that I don't think anything else could have. What he said to me was, nah, deacon, I don't see myself at that mass. That's the white people mass. I was floored. Now, let's set aside for a second that when we're young, we sometimes express ourselves in ways that are not 100% related to what we mean, right? And I take that for granted here because this young man was not making a statement about race on any level. But what he was saying was that, liturg that liturgy and that community doesn't relate to who I am. It's not who I am. And I couldn't help but just fast forward three years. He's 15 now. He'll be 18 then. What's more likely that he look and determine that I'm going to worship in a community and a liturgy that has all of the accoutrement of my culture, all the ways that I was brought up, those creature comforts, the way that I was, the music and all of the sights and sounds and smells, but it's in a language that I'm not intellectually challenged in. I don't use for my friends. I can't be necessarily intellectually edified in, or is it more likely that I'll pick the community and liturgy that has the language that has all those things, but nevertheless has none of the cultural hallmarks of how I've been brought up as a Christian. And the orphancy part of this hit for me when I realized that the answer sadly increasingly is neither. Neither. These whole generation of people essentially in limbo, not having a home in either one of those places. So it became really crystal clear to me what the solution to this dilemma was. And of course, it's a multifaceted thing and it requires a lot of work in a lot of different directions. But first and foremost, the solution is a solution of a mission, a mission to the Latino community and a mission by the Latino community. Why do I say a mission to the Latino community? Because we're a missionary people. We actually have, as Catholics, a missionary mandate. The church says in the catechism that we're in obedience to the command of our founder and we strive to preach the gospel to everyone. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You've heard this before. But here's the thing. You don't have to go to a far-off country to make a mission when you have a nation in your backyard. What do I say by Latinos? A mission by Latinos. Because in the words of Archbishop Jose Gomez, who's my own bishop in Los Angeles and also the president of the USCCB, we, the Latino people in the U.S., are the spiritual heirs of St. Juan Diego. I mean, think about that, right? St. Juan Diego in the 16th century, by the grace of God and the intercession of Our Lady, 
led a spiritual revolution that Christianized an entire pagan continent, Latin America, effectively. Well, if it's true that we are the spiritual heirs of St. Juan Diego, why couldn't we continue that legacy here? In fact, it's kind of demanded of us that we do. So what a tremendous opportunity. Now, what can anybody do? Well, we studied that question with OSV Institute, who actually put on these talks. We spent a lot of time thinking about that, and we surfaced a few, I think, very important insights that hopefully can help and benefit everyone. The first one is shift your watering holes. What that means is that we have to look for ways to engage and interact and embrace the Latino community in a variety of different ways. Oftentimes, we're not doing that at all. Or when we're doing it, we're doing it to a very minimal degree. Shifting our perspective and our watering holes will help us be able to get the kind of inputs that we need. Number two, voice over language. I'm speaking to you right now in an authentically Latino voice, even though the words you're hearing are in English. The reality of it is, is that just translating things, which tends to be the approach to engage with our community, is not the way, or at least not the only way, to transmit the faith, to evangelize, to raise new Christians. And it's not just my voice in particular. There's lots of voices that fall into this category. Father Agustino Torres, Astrid Benet Gutierrez, Hector Molina, people who are born here, who are bicultural, who speak the language culturally and can connect in ways that a simple translation won't. Number three, the inside like the outside. Now that one seems pretty cut and dried, that if we're serving a constituency, that constituency should be also found on the inside of our apostolates, of our organizations, of our services. It's particularly meaningful because we have to remember that we're put here on this earth at this moment for a reason. We're not coming up in 15th century Europe or in Africa in the 12th century or somewhere in Asia in the 5th. We're Americans in the 21st century. And as a result, we have the set of circumstances that we've been given for a reason. And so why shouldn't we look around at the church that is and the church that is to be and bring those perspectives and bring those voices into everything that we're doing? The inside like the outside. And the last, a creative apologetics. Pope Francis gave us these words in Evangelii Gaudium just a few years back, and he was essentially suggesting for us a new and inventive way to explain and defend the faith. He said, we still need to do that, obviously. We need to explain Christianity. We need to defend it. But we need to increasingly do it creatively. Well, in the United States in the 21st century, I can't think of a group of people, particularly among, particularly the young Latino people, who desire and need this creative apologetics more now than ever. They have questions, just like every young person does. But remember that they're in this state of limbo. And so ways to connect with them, to deliver the message, the saving message of the gospel, need to be done in innovative ways. The reality of it is, is that we have a tremendous opportunity at this moment, a tremendous opportunity. And we also have a tremendous risk. We can take that powder keg and we can aim it in the direction and blow a hole right through to the other side, pass on this faith to the next generation and evangelize a whole new set of people if we do it the right way. 
and we take it seriously. Thank you.